Welcome to the Almost Always Never podcast. I'd like to thank Reed 4 for the use of their song Slow from the album Bedford to Bellmead. In today's episode, I'll be covering one of my favorite times of the year, the Christmas 2018 picture book newsletter. A couple of formatting notes. I usually try to stick to around six books or so that have been published within the past year. And in this podcast episode, I have three books that are recently published, and then I have one book apiece that is about Diwali, Hanukkah, and Kwanzaa, and they aren't recent, but I like them for my own reasons, so I will be including those. And then I also have one vintage picture book to talk about. And then sort of as a treat for me, I don't know how much of a treat it is for anybody else, but my friend Kara came up with sort of a sign-off catchphrase kind of deal for the podcast, so this will be the first episode where I use that, so something to look forward to at the end. So the first book I'm going to start off with was Red and Lulu by Matt Tavares. This was just a stunning book, I thought. I saw the cover and I couldn't wait to read it. I I was so happy that it was a recent release that I could talk about. And with the story, Red and Lulu are two cardinals. They're a cardinal pair who've been living in this evergreen tree. And the tree gets chosen to be the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. They are not consulted (laughs) before the tree is moved, so panic and terror ensue. The tree gets transported off to New York City and the birds get separated. And I want to read a little snippet from the book jacket sleeve because I think it really sums it up pretty well. And it says, quote, But then one day something unbelievable happens and Red and Lulu are separated. It will take a miracle for them to find each other again. But luckily it's just the season for miracles. Matt Tavares has brought us a new classic that combines all the cheer of Christmas, all the magic of New York City, and the real meaning of the holiday season. Just how important it is to be surrounded by love, end quote. So for this book, I like the story. It's a sweet story and all that. I'm kind of partial to Cardinals anyway, so it's a nice holiday story in that respect. But when I say it's stunning, what I mean is that the illustrations are done in watercolor and gouache, and they're just incredible. He's illustrated a lot of these scenes with snow falling and with illumination from inside the buildings and Christmas lights and just his scenes of New York City are just beautiful and spectacular. So I love this book. I could look at this book all day. It's just beautiful. The one illustration towards the end where he's got the um, the tree itself lit up and decorated and the way he's painted that, it could easily be framed. It's just gorgeous. So that's definitely going to be on my list of Christmas books to read every year from now on. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. And I learned something about the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree from this book that I didn't know. It's probably common knowledge, but I just wasn't I had never been aware of it up to this point, but apparently, according to the book, when the quote, when the holiday season is over, the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree is donated to Habitat for Humanity, a charitable organization that uses lumber from the tree to build homes for families in need, end quote. And I think that's great. And I love that they included that quote. And it just makes me love the idea of the Rockefeller Center tree all the more. So that is Red and Lulu by Matt Tavares. Next up, I have a really interesting take on the Nutcracker Ballet. I know it's kind of an overdone Christmas picture book theme. I mean, maybe some people would consider it overdone. I love the Nutcracker. It's one of my favorite parts of the holiday season. I try to go see it every single year. We have a great local production in my town, so it makes it easy to want to go. Uh, It's just for the Nutcracker and Christmas are just kind of inseparable for me. But I will say... It's a pretty popular theme. We'll just leave it at that. It's a very popular theme. Ellie McKay has written 
and illustrated waltz of the snowflakes, which it may not break new ground on the Christmas Nutcracker picture book genre, but her illustrations are very unique and interesting, and I like them very much. I didn't get an illustrator description from the book, so I'm going to have to do my best to explain what I like about it as a layperson and not an artist. My assessment of what kind of illustrations they are, I think they're mixed media. It has panels that remind me of a digital comic kind of deal, but it also looks like it could be ink and watercolor digitally finished, so I really wish that they had explained what technique she uses because it's a it's a very interesting effect. It's got a very digital watercolor feel to it. And I just, I really enjoyed looking through this book. I think that's an art style that she's really popularizing, and I I think she's a very talented artist. This is actually a wordless story. All of the plot is sort of explained through the pictures. In in that sense, it reminds me of Hugo Cabret. That's the only, that's the only sense in which that those two books are the same, is that there's just, it's a wordless story. And it's pretty basic, too. It's a girl whose grandmother takes her to the Nutcracker, it's a rainy day. She's not excited about going. She watches the performance. She meets a little boy in the, the audience with her. And they sort of discover the Nutcracker together. And, you know, she realizes over the course of the ballet that she really is enjoying herself. And then she and her grandmother head home and she's in a lot better mood. So very simple plot. But again, the strength of the story is the illustrations, which I guess it would have to be since there's no words. I really recommend it. Definitely, if you like The Nutcracker, check it out. Not not that I think I'll ever get tired of seeing the ballet through other people's perspectives. That's always interesting to me. It sort of really reminded me of why I love to do this at Christmas and go see this. And I wasn't necessarily looking for a reminder of why I love it, but I appreciate this book so much for giving that back to me, remembering what caught my attention about it in the first place when I was younger. So thank you to Ellie McKay for that. I appreciate it. And then book number three was Rory the Dinosaur Needs a Christmas Tree, written by Liz Klima. She has an Instagram comic that is, it's so sweet. I always enjoy it whenever she has a comic that comes out because it's usually funny. It's not really cynical. It's usually got a positive message to it. So I enjoy her comic ability. And then I really enjoyed this story. It's got things that I don't associate with Christmas necessarily. It's got dinosaurs on a tropical island, which is, you know, those are always the first two things that I go to when I think Christmas. But Rory is a little dinosaur and he lives with his dad on this island and they uh, spend the book trying to figure out some kind of Christmas tree situation. The solution that they come up with at the end is adorable. I'm not going to give it away. And it's just a sweet story. Other than that, it's one of those all of his friends help him come to this final realization that all you need is friendship and community, and the holidays aren't necessarily about the kind of tree that you have. You can have Christmas without a tree. But I think the strength of this one, I, I mean, I enjoy it on its own merits, but it's got some things going for it. I liked the positive single parent presentation. It doesn't go out of its way to knock you on the head that it's just Rory and his dad, but you get the, you know, you get the feeling from the book. It's just the two of them. I liked the alternative setting. There aren't that many Christmas books that I'm aware of that feature tropical islands, so... And then I also just love how, if you are a fan of her Instagram comic, this book just is like a longer one of those. So there's a lot to love here. 
with with this particular book. She was a character artist on The Simpsons, so she's definitely got artistic talent. You know, she's she's just a very creative, talented person, it seems like, from her Instagram presence. So I highly recommend Rory the Dinosaur Needs a Christmas Tree. Okay, and now for some non-Christmas titles. The first one is Seven Spools of Thread, a Kwanzaa Story, and it's written by Angela Shelf Medeiros and illustrated by Daniel Minter. This one has been in my, I almost said Christmas arsenal, that sounds wrong. I've been aware of this book since I took a multicultural children's literature class in graduate school, which was wonderful, amazing. I really wish I had more of a steam reason to pull a lot of those titles in. Maybe at some point I'll just do an episode of like a grab bag of titles that I really like that don't fit into the STEAM framework because that class really opened my, and the instructor really opened my awareness to a lot of books that were really great from an information standpoint and beautiful illustrations. But I digress. So the when the book starts out, it explains a little bit about the Kwanzaa holiday, and it tells you about the seven principles, which are unity, self-determination, collective work and responsibility, cooperative economics, purpose, creativity, and faith. And it says all of the principles of the Nguzo Saba, I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong, are hidden in the story Seven Spools of Thread. Can you find them? So the main plot of this story is that the, there's an old man in a village in Ghana, and he has his wife has died, he has seven sons, and all they do from morning until night is quarrel and the book says that they are a disappointment to their father. So when he finally passes away, he's left an interesting inheritance requirement. I'll just quote straight from the book. The chief of the village says, quote, Your father has decreed that all of his property and possessions will be divided among you equally, said the chief. But first, by the time the moon rises tonight, you must learn how to make gold out of these spools of silk thread. If you do not, you will be turned out of your home as beggars. End quote. So the point of the story is that they have to learn to work together to make gold out of these spools of thread. And I won't give away the ending, but I really love this book. It says that the illustrations are linoleum block prints, and the artwork is just incredible. The colors are perfect. It's not a picture book that you're going to forget quickly both for the moral of the story and the illustrations together. And it even, at the end of the book itself, it gives you a craft activity. So this is like a one-stop Kwanzaa shop as far as an introduction goes. It's probably the most approachable introduction to Kwanzaa that I've found. If anybody knows of similarly helpful titles, let me know. But other than that, that is Seven Spools of Thread, and I highly recommend that for a Kwanzaa picture book. And then for a Hanukkah title... I have Nana's Hanukkah Surprise, written by Karen Fisman and illustrated by Martha Aviles. I didn't really have a whole lot of high expectations when I picked this one up. I was just looking for a Hanukkah title that I could feature, and I know this is going to shock everybody that listens to these episodes. Yes, I cried. Okay, yes, I cried. It really hit me in this in the unexpected feels, because <laughs> it's a very modern, blended family travel to be with your family for the holidays kind of story. It's just so touching. You know, for a picture book, it does a really good job of weaving together some early hints of what's going to happen. And then when it all comes together at the end, it's very affecting. I really liked this story a lot. But the story is about a little girl named Rachel, and she and her family celebrate Hanukkah. Her grandmother is Italian and celebrates Christmas, and they're going to fly to be with the grandmother for the holidays. 
and she wants to bring her new menorah that she's gotten along with her. This was an interesting thing. I am not Jewish. In this picture book, she gets this menorah gift is given to her, and all of the Maccabees are girls. Is that a thing? I don't, I'm not sure if that's, I'm really not sure what to do with that. I don't know if that's unusual or not. So the menorahs that I've seen don't have people at all. So that was just an interesting thing. I'm very curious. If you have a menorah with nine female Maccabees, let me know. <laughs> let me learn something. But unfortunately, the menorah doesn't make it all the way to grandma's house. And that's pr very disappointing for Rachel. So her nana has to come up with a different idea of what to do for a menorah. It's just, this book is just so sweet. I wouldn't say that it's heavy on explanation of Hanukkah, but it's an actual story. And of course, the message is really positive, too. I really like the ending page. They're all, you can't have an Italian grandmother without a Christmas dinner of delicious food. So the last page, it says, Afterward, as Rachel munched on Nana's lasagna and Mom's potato latkes, she decided that bringing Hanukkah to Nana and the cousins was pretty special. Maybe next time she'd bring Purim. I just... I just really enjoyed this book. I think it's always nice when you can combine a really readable story with information about a holiday that maybe, I don't know, I, I think this story would be enjoyable if you personally celebrate Hanukkah or if you're just trying to learn about it. So I would definitely recommend this book. And that was Nana's Hanukkah Surprise by Karen Fisman. And then the last book from the newsletter was The Diwali Gift by Shveta Chopra and Shuchi Mehta, illustrated by Anna Cohen. This book is part of a Three Curious Monkeys brand that I think both of the um, authors are launching. It's got a second book and an accompanying website and some apps. It's really trying to open up Indian culture to the U.S. audience, I think, is their main goal. I think it's going to be a runaway hit because... The characters that they've created are really engaging. It reminds me a lot of a Dora the Explorer kind of vibe. And the way that they're incorporating that digital aspect to it, I think it's going to be really successful. So I look forward to more of their work. I enjoy Indian culture very much. I know a little bit about it, but not, not enough that I didn't learn something from the Diwali gift. It's even got sort of a puzzle-solving element going on. One of the monkeys, their grandmother, sends them a gift for Diwali. And as I was reading it, I just, I really applauded the way that they worked a lot of cultural element explanations into the puzzle-solving part of this. I thought that was a really clever framing device. So there's clues that the grandmother has written in the present, and then they're like, I think it's bangles, I think it's festival lights, what have you. And it just, it gives the authors an opportunity to explain a lot of terminology in a cute way, in an approachable way. So yeah, I really like this. I think the little monkey characters are relatable and they're cute. I like the digital element. It's I think it's supposed to be a giftable kind of book. It's got a book played in the front that says, you know, this Diwali gift belongs to you. For informational purposes, it would work or as a gift itself, it would be good. And I really look forward to more of their books in the future. So I'm going to keep an eye out for those. And then for my vintage pick, I have to kind of backtrack what I said about the Nutcracker at the beginning of the episode, I guess. I'm sorry. It's called The Nutcracker in Harlem, and it was written by T.E. McMorrow, illustrated by James Ransom. He's a pretty big illustrator. He's done all kinds of things. He's won the Coretta Scott King Illustrator Award. I chose this one because I really enjoyed the illustration. I liked the story aspect of it, too, and it's also got kind of a unique setting. It's Harlem in the 1920s, and it pulls in several figures from that era. There's a Cab Calloway tribute, and Adelaide Hall gets a nod, too. Um, 
the story is there's a little girl and her parents are having a Christmas party and her uncle Cab gives her a Nutcracker doll for Christmas. And the party just sort of goes on from there and people are singing and dancing and just having a good time. And it says she wished she could sing, but Marie was afraid she wasn't any good. So there's also a message in the story that I really like about the real important thing is to contribute your own gift, not to worry about how you sound individually, but just not to stand back and watch, you know, to really get involved, to really be a part of the community and be a part of the celebration. So I thought that was a good message. I like this one sort of really sweet, gentle uh, scene, the Adelaide Hall figure she's calling Miss Addie. And it says, Miss Addie knelt next to Marie. Will you sing with me, Marie? She asked. Marie shook her head. Maybe next time, Miss Addie said. Music lives inside everyone. You just have to let it out. So anyway, I like the story. I love the illustrations. He's used such deep, rich, vivid colors in these watercolor illustrations. And the effect of the snow is a lot like the Red and Lulu, Matt Tavares book. Ransom, he's, um, for this for this Nutcracker and Harlem book, he's really relied on blue, all kinds of different shades of blue. And there's something really appealing about that as a backdrop against the traditional colors of Christmas are deep evergreen and kind of a scarlet kind of red and all the twinkle lights and the glowing and everything. And when you put that against a nighttime blue palette, it just pops. So I guess satisfyingly is the only way to say it. So it's definitely a book that you can appreciate from an illustrator and a story level. So I highly recommend Nutcracker in Harlem. And then just because it is Christmas and I love the season of Christmas so much and the books that I've been sort of like collecting in my Christmas memory since I was little, and I thought I would just talk a little bit about a couple of those. They're not, <laughs> they're not groundbreaking in any sense because everybody loves the Polar Express and the Grinch. I feel like those are going to be the stories that formed a lot of our Christmas childhood stories, but if you have a book that was really important to you in childhood for Christmas, let me know. I'd love to compare notes about what everybody's Christmas book formation, if you will, was. I'm a little bit older and so my Polar Express experience has nothing to do with the movie, although I love the movie with the Tom Hanks voice. It's, it's perfection. I love that. But the reason Polar Express is important to me is that the church that we went to when I was, oh, I don't know, first or second or third grade age, somewhere in there, every single year they would have a set fixed date in the calendar and they would, or we would, I mean, the kids weren't much help, but it was supposed to be everybody gets together and decorates the church for Christmas. And it was just honestly something I looked forward to every single year. It just hit a lot of high notes for me as a little kid. Everything looked beautiful. Everything smelled so good because we'd been making applesauce ornaments and decorating sugar cookies. And if you if you don't know how to do the applesauce ornaments, I'm going to put... It's so easy. It's like um, one jar of applesauce and one full McCormick cinnamon bottled together and you roll out the dough and make cookie cutter shapes out of it and then you bake them in the oven and you can have the most wonderful smelling Christmas ornaments. It it makes the whole house smell delicious. I, I still do that. I'm not a little kid. I still make applesauce ornaments just because I love that scent when they're all put on the tree. But anyway, 
there was always a, you know, people would be playing Christmas carols. We'd be doing singing. It, it lasted a long time. I, our church was pretty big, so it took a while to actually decorate the stuff. Looking back now, I realized they were just trying to keep the kids occupied, but I thought we were really, this was all just one big community event to me. But anyway, there would always be a point in the evening where it was sort of wrapping up and our minister would sit and read the Polar Express story. That was kind of a nice sort of an ending to the whole evening. That was probably my first exposure to Chris von Allsberg, and he's one of my favorite authors slash illustrators. And I mean, when you take it all together, it was just sort of a magical evening. The only, I mean, I'm saying all this because I think anybody can recreate that effect in their home for Christmas, have a dedicated day where you decorate, have some soup going and like decorate cookies and read the Polar Express. It was I, all these years later, like I still remember. I still remember how good that evening felt every year. So I think that'd be a great family tradition. And then of course, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I don't enjoy the live action Grinch movies as much. I love the cartoon movie, probably because it was the first thing I saw. So it's cemented in my mind. But that's the version of the Grinch that I want at Christmas. That's my nostalgia. So and I think everybody probably knows the Grinch story pretty well. Like I don't think I need to explain what the plot is or anything. But it's such a nice reminder to me whenever I do go back and read the Grinch story that the commercialism of the holidays is a personal choice. You know, we don't really decorate until close to the holiday itself. We don't, we try, we try to keep the holidays in their own particular season. So there's no Christmas decorated until after we get through Thanksgiving at least. But I just, I love the part in the book whenever he thinks he stopped Christmas, but you can't stop it. Christmas is coming anyway. And just in the spirit of the season, I have to read this. And the Grinch with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. So I guess what I'm saying is I'm not really the target audience for that reminder, but it still works on me whenever I read the book and I think, yeah, okay. I always have to go back mentally and just remember it's about people. The older I get, the more that this is true. Gifts are great, but I'm trying to really be conscious as I go forward that keeping relationships strong throughout the year and then celebrating the people I love at Christmas time, it doesn't have to involve gifts. And I just keep trying every year to get more and more to a place where the focus is on faith and community and so much less about all the other commercial nature of the holiday. I did want to let everybody know about something really special, though, a new Christmas tradition for me. I love the Night Before Christmas book. I have a Mary Engelbrecht version of it, which is just lovely. But somebody gave me a uh, Downton Abbey Christmas soundtrack CD and the butler from Downton Abbey, Carson, he does a reading on the CD of the Twas the Night Before Christmas. And it's so wonderful. Like that is, that is absolutely going to become an annual Christmas tradition for me is just really pairing his reading with the book. I think it's going to be so nice. I was just listening to the CD and then I heard that. So that was a really nice new Christmas tradition that started this year for me. All right, well, those are the December 2018 picture book 
newsletter picks. And once again, I'd like to thank everybody for joining me for this episode of the Almost Always Never podcast. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email me at admin at aanpodcast.com. You can find the podcast on Twitter or Instagram. And without any further ado, I will break out Kara's outro message. I'm very excited. Thank you, Kara. And it says, and remember, make mistakes, take risks, and break things, especially your own limitations. Thank you.